Hello and welcome back to the history of video games. My name is Ben and I'm joined by the one and only Wes. How are you doing today, Wes? What's up? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I've been busy. I've still yeah. been playing a lot of shows, as you know. Oh yeah, very busy. Still healing my foot up, but uh, <laughs> that's getting better, at least. I'm feeling better. So good. I'm walking a little bit better. <laughs> it's weird, like, now my foot feels fine. But it's kind of annoying to walk around because it's still wrapped in like this big bandage and like that doesn't have a lot of room inside the shoe. <laughs> so I end right. up walking because of that. But um, well, I guess if that's the most annoying part, that means you're on the road to uh, recovery. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So uh, it's going pretty good. I've been good. playing some games. What have you been playing? Well, so I wish I had something, you know, incredibly new and exciting, but I have just still been on the... Uh, really feeling that post-apocalyptic mood. So I stopped playing Chernobylite for a little bit. I've taken a break from that. And I went back to the modding scene for Call of Pripyat, uh, the Stalker games, because I found out that Anomaly, which was the mod pack I had been playing, people are basically just treating as like the baseline for all other mod packs now. Uh, so there's some even crazier okay. stuff going on. So I picked up another mod pack based on anomaly which is called gamma it's maybe a little too hardcore I, <laughs> they just removed all guns from the traders so now all guns that you use you have to find like and scavenge off people but none of them are at like 100 percent durability so like the first rifle i found an sks the barrel was so damaged that it was only doing one percent of its normal damage value <laughs> so which was a little ridiculous because it means like a whole clip didn't kill a guy even if i hit him in the head 10 times but <laughs> they've managed it well enough that at least for psychopaths like me it's a fun level of difficulty for that game and uh like it, it's easy to get to the end of that game and kind of feel invincible and it's nice starting over again especially in a difficult mod because you really feel like you're just scraping by and surviving uh, which is really fun in that kind of bleak world to just feel like, oh man, every second is tough in a way. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really liking that. And they also have a sort of like pseudo base building in this mod too, where you can actually, I guess, like claim parts of buildings that exist in friendly bases normally, and then just add a bunch of like storage containers and stuff like that to it. Uh, so I haven't even gotten to the point where I could start doing that yet, but having like a actual base to call my own feels pretty cool. I'm definitely going to check that out. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the game's been out since like 2009 and people have just been modding it ever since. It feels like there's so many things going on, <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, pretty much what I've been up to. What have you been playing recently? So I've only had time to continue playing Dawn of War, and it's the only thing I've been wanting to play, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I keep playing this campaign, and I can't remember if I had taken out maybe one or two factions last time I talked about it, but now I have destroyed, I think, five factions, and it's only half the game. Wow. <laughs> There's still like another five or six factions to go, including all three of the new ones, which I haven't oh, okay. gotten to yet. I was going to ask if you got any yet. <laughs> You know, something that is pretty interesting I wanted to mention is like, as I mentioned before, all the other mods I've played, they don't do anything with the campaign because that's a lot harder to code for. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it's just really cool because like the mod pretty much adds like another two layers of tech on top of the game you know so you've got like all the way up to titan class units which are just monstrous and obviously if you were playing that in the campaign that didn't support that you would just roll over everybody because they don't they don't know how to go up to that higher tech you know <laughs> so it's really cool to see the campaign missions, especially the more scripted ones, be changed with the knowledge that you probably have a Titan in mind. So, like, if, you know, you're ambushed by two squads, they might be a lot more powerful than they were before. Or, like, okay, yeah. maybe a Titan spawns in that final few moments or something instead of whatever it was before, some elite unit or something. So... It's really cool because you get to play with all the new toys, but then you also get to verse everybody else's new toys. And that's really cool. It feels really well balanced, if I'm being honest. Like, I'm only playing it on the normal mode difficulty, but I feel like it's a perfect difficulty. Like, it's very challenging, but I have a lot of fun and, and succeed. So I think in order to take a capital city, which is what you need to do to remove someone from the game, it's taking me about an hour and a half per mission. To take a capital. Wow. Okay. Um, real time. So it's a very, very long game, but most of that is just me being very safe because I want to make sure I succeed. So right. I'll have a Titan and just like be sniping off one building at a time until there's nobody left, you know? <laughs> um, so it takes a while because of that, but uh, I'm really enjoying it. I feel like it's very well balanced, very well polished. There's almost one time where I was about to succeed in taking a capital and I got a message on screen saying the upcoming cutscene can crash games. Please save your game now. And I was like, oh, that's really nice that they added that. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I've been having tons of fun and um, I just feel like it's it's really well polished. The only, the only thing I don't like about it is um, unlike probably my favorite mod, which is called Ultimate Apocalypse. On that one, I really felt like all the races had multiple kind of different tech trees that they could go up, like different paths, you know? Mm -hmm. And on this one, it really feels more like Age of Mythology, where you're just like, let's get a Titan as fast as possible. And that's the only thing that matters. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or like, delay until you need it at the last moment, right? Like, there's been many times where I've been like getting overrun and right at the last second that like, you know, maybe tier one Titan comes out or like some really strong, powerful thing I was teching to. And then that just saves me. Right. So um, <laughs> that's pretty much the the entire strategy. <laughs> the only time it's different is like, as I mentioned before, the maps have like randomized objectives. So not the capital cities, because those are like scripted, but and the normal just you take X map or whatever. Sometimes it's like, if you kill the enemy leader, then the whole player is out of the game. So, like, I might just hide my leader in the corner and just <laughs> try to ambush their leader. And it doesn't matter if every single one of my dudes dies. As long as that leader dies, I'm winning, you know? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Or same thing with there's one where it's like first person to take a strategic point from your opponent wins so i might like let my opponent take the majority of the map where i know they can't defend it all and then just go and just take one and i win <laughs> so it's pretty interesting I, i'm loving those little changes i'm pretty sure that wasn't in the base game but i could be wrong i haven't played the campaign in a long time but it's really good and 
all the capital cities have cutscenes and stuff, so I can't wait till and, and voice acting, so I can't wait till I see those new new races and see what their cutscenes are going to be like or what their scripted stuff is or, or even the custom maps because there's like a whole new planet that's been added to like the game world, right? So Oh, awesome. Yeah, so I'm almost there. I need to take down maybe two more uh, civilizations and I'll, I'll be over there. It just happens to be like where I ended up spawning. It just made sense to not do those ones right away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Well, that's neat though. I mean, really cheers to a uh well-made extensive mods all around <laughs> i know mods are like pc heaven oh yeah for sure man just <laughs> all you need is mountain blade to know that <laughs> oh yeah i know i know that <laughs> awesome well yeah i think we should go over to our special topic for the day we've got a really fun one uh ben why don't you tell everyone what it's about yeah, so for this one, I thought it would be fun if, you know, since Wes and I spent so much time together, and we did room together for several years in college, mm-hmm. if we could guess each other's favorite games of all time. And uh, this is going to be hard, because I barely know what my favorite games of all time are. Same, honestly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but either way, I think we'll learn a lot about each other and talk about some really good games. So I think what we'll do, Wes, uh, one of us will, will guess all five of the other persons sure yeah and then um they can reveal how many of those were accurate and what the other ones would be sounds perfect to me so do you want to start or should i start with the guessing i'll get started with the guessing because okay. i have a few that i'm pretty confident on and then a few that i'm definitely not <laughs> <laughs> and as you mentioned uh this isn't in any particular order like we're not doing one through five we're just doing whatever our top five are because again me and ben probably couldn't pick our number one anyway um or at least i couldn't so (laughs) all right so here's what i got for you and some of these are topical you know age of mythology (laughs) i think starcraft 2 restaurant empire although i have no idea which game in that series (laughs) (laughs) um again topical i'm gonna say time splitters future perfect and Republic Commandos. Star Wars Republic Ooh. Commandos, yeah. I have to say, Wes, you did pretty good. Pretty oh, darn good. Okay, yeah. You missed some stuff, but, I mean, anybody who knows me knows StarCraft II is definitely in my top five. Oh, yeah. And uh, Age Mythology is such a good one. It's, again, in my top five. I mean, I gave it a 10 out of 10 in music, I think, when we did that one special topic a while ago. Yeah. And um, it's just one of my all-time favorites. I... I played that, I think, a couple months ago, and I was, again, just, like, wowed by everything. The voice acting's amazing. The campaigns are super long. Like, the expansion pack is as long as, like, a full game, pretty much. So, um, yeah, I, I love those two. RTSs are great. You said Restaurant Empire 2. I mean, that was right there, probably my number six, but I did okay. not include it. Got it. It could definitely be a number five because I feel like one of my number one of the ones in my top five is one that you probably wouldn't guess. <laughs> so what else did you say? You said um Time Splitters Future Perfect. Yeah, that one's not in it, but it's okay. a great game. And then I also said Republic Commandos. So it's funny that you say Republic Commando. I'll give you another chance, Wes. It's not Republic Commando, it's a different Star Wars game. Oh shoot. One that I know we both played. The original Battlefront? 
Battlefront 2? Battlefront 2. <laughs> okay, yep. yeah, yeah. It's one of the only ones in this list that's not on PC that I have. <laughs> yeah. But I played that game so much as a kid. I mean, it was definitely my favorite game as a kid growing up. And um, I just played the uh, Galactic Conquest like over and over and over again, probably for hundreds of hours, seemingly. <laughs> that mode is just the best mode. Yeah. <laughs> but. I mean, anybody that came over to the house, that's what we were doing. Exactly. You know? <laughs> I was about to say so many high school and like middle school sleepovers were just playing Galactic Conquest over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> so that's definitely in my top five. So there's two other ones. One is the one that I'm playing right now, Dawn of War. One okay. of my favorites. I thought that I would might say be. Um, it's by far, I think, the best Warhammer 40K game ever made, I think. It's one I always go back to. I've like downloaded like modding tools for it, which are incredibly complicated, but I wanted to do like my own thing so much that I downloaded all this like crazy graph data tree looking stuff <laughs> and tried to like sort like look through the code because I just wanted to play it that much. Um, so, I mean, Dawn of War is definitely in my top five. And then the, the weird one um, that Restaurant Empire 2 could be in here. But the weird one that I put in, there's one game where every like couple months probably, I'll do a Google search to see if there's a private server of because you can't play it anymore. And there's no other game that I really keep wanting to go back to and I can't, you know, maybe because I can't is the reason why it's in my top five. Right. But I really just I want to play it so bad and I can't. Any guesses on a, a game that's no longer around? You got me stumped, but I'm so curious. It's a uh, Marvel Heroes oh, and MMO. Of course. <laughs> did, we, did I play that when we were rooming together? I can't remember. Yeah, a little bit. It's a MMO. It's like a Diablo kind of or Path of Exile style M MMO. And something I really loved about that game is just like, like what I loved doing was just questing. And it feels really weird that like your favorite part of a game is like the base game. <laughs> like that's rarely the case. Like in most MMOs, it's like you do this big grind to get what you want or go to the late game. And it's like all I wanted to do was just like the story mode. And they had this um, prestige system. So you could do the story mode multiple times with the same character. And each time your prestige would go up by one, which would just change the color uh, of your name tag above your head, which was just a very small thing. but. It was enough for me to just want to keep doing it over and over and over again. I did the same <laughs> story mode, like, and the story mode is relatively short, maybe eight to ten hours. But um, I just kept doing it over and over, and I just loved it. Uh, I was like, dude, I want to do this more. So, um, is the one game I constantly look for online to see: is it possible? Is somebody out there playing Marvel Heroes in 2022? And uh, the answer so far has been no. Right, but um, it was shut down, and because it's Marvel, very unlikely that it would pop back up. But I want to play it so badly that I look anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's dedication, yeah, yeah, oh, of course. Well, that's, I mean, it makes sense, and <laughs> I, I think we're both in the same boat because I, I feel a little bad for you guessing mine, Ben. I just feel like it depends on the day. It depends on what I've been playing recently because I've got so many favorite <laughs> games. But I'm really curious to hear what your guesses are. 
right okay so i feel pretty <laughs> strong about my list honestly okay okay um even it. if this isn't in your top five i feel like you you really like all these games mm-hmm. so i'm gonna open with dark souls 3 there's definitely a dark souls game in there somewhere yeah. so you have to give it if it's elden ring you have to give that to me <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm gonna go freelancer all right yeah i'm gonna say fallout new vegas stalker and the last one I want to do a Pokemon one. I'm going to say Pokemon Go. But Ooh. could be any of the Pokemons. You have to give that to me too. Yeah. You can wiggle room. <laughs> okay, man. You, uh, you did really well. So, hell yeah. <laughs> Freelancer is easy. That's, I mean, we were just talking about it. Yeah. One of my favorite games of all time. Probably not my favorite, but man, it's so good as we've both talked about now since you got to play it too dark souls 3 i guess i'm gonna have to give you credit because i picked elden ring you were right (laughs) (laughs) hey i'll take it yeah i'm taking that i don't know if i'd say it's the best FromSoft game but i mean as soon as it came out i put 130 hours into it and beat it (laughs) like within a month and a half it's (laughs) yeah so i loved it i love all the changes they made with it and i'm so excited to see uh, what kind of weird stuff they'll do next and one I had no idea that you would guess, but you were so very close, so I'm also going to give it to you, is Fallout New Vegas. I was going back and forth between New Vegas and Fallout 3, and I put down okay. Fallout 3, but I was so close to putting Fallout Vegas. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, and that's I'm surprised you got that one, because that's a bit of a deep cut. It's the post-apocalyptic, but I haven't played a Fallout game in a long time. Well, it, I feel like that's the one that started your post-apocalyptic love. If That's I had true. to guess. Fallout 3 for sure. Definitely yeah. did. I forget if between that and the original Stalker, but I'm pretty sure it was Fallout 3. <laughs> uh, Stalker games, as much as I love them, I didn't put them on the list. Uh, it's okay. a bit of a weird thing, but kind of just because I haven't played the original game in like 10 years. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I love the base games though, but there were other things that ranked a little bit higher for me. And what was the last one that you said? I'm blanking. I said Pokemon Go is the last one. Pokemon Go. Yeah. So that is tough because it's probably my most played game because I literally play it every day <laughs> for a couple minutes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I have a love-hate relationship with the game, you know? <laughs> That's fair. It's really, really fun, but also I do not like spending money in it because it seems like a ripoff most of the time. So as a free player, I enjoy it. But sometimes I'm just like, what are you guys doing? So some of the... <laughs> The live service support is strange. Uh, so <laughs> as much as I love Pokemon in general and Pokemon Go, didn't end up putting one of them on my list. So that leaves two that you didn't guess. I'll give you one hint. One of them is one that I guessed for your top five. <laughs> you know what that one is? Oh, um, it might have totally just oh, slipped yeah, your Republic mind. Republic Commando. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love Republic Commandos. Uh, I mean, it's, it's so good. The campaign, everything is just perfect i've gone back and played it so many times just because there's so many first person shooters out there so many star wars games out there but nothing that captures that game's feel like completely mm-hmm. the way that it does the uh, squad system is just perfect even though like by modern standards it seems super limited i think it's something about like the limited nature and how creative you can feel making those limited decisions that really sells it so yeah, had to put that up there. And the last one, which you didn't guess, but I don't blame you because I haven't talked about it in a long time, Mass Effect 2. 
Uh, I was going to say Mass yeah. Effect. Mass Effect 2 is probably very close to being like my favorite game of all time. It's just, uh, again, like a perfect campaign. I think it's the best game in the Mass Effect series, and I don't think that's a very controversial uh, choice. A lot of people say yeah. that. <laughs> but it just has so many great characters. Uh, they really nailed the gunplay and the powers in that game, and the stories are just incredible. Uh, so, yeah, I love, my, I love some RPGs. It's funny, when I was picking yours, I didn't pick Dawn of War mainly because I was like, I already did two RTSs. Like, I know Ben I loves know, right? RTSs, but <laughs> I feel like I think it's... it's more of the fact that it's Warhammer 40K, and I actually am a huge for Warhammer 40K fan. Yes, but yeah. I think I... Well, the thing that really got me into 40K was I read a book that was a Warhammer 40K book, but, I mean, I was already into the universe because of Dawn of War, and there's just no game that captures the grim darkness of warhammer than other than dawn of war in my opinion yeah like even in the newer games there's something um like it's too polished almost i don't know it's it's um a little too like clear it's more or... like a horror game instead of like something that's like dystopian like it's got to be more right. dystopian than horror it's a weird difference but and nobody can be the good guys really <laughs> yeah nobody's allowed to be the good guys so yeah. But I was playing Dawn of War just today and like in one of the cutscenes, like a dude has like Edward scissor hands as a as a hands and just like they start spinning around in a circle. I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's awesome. This, and pretty much <laughs> for all Dawn of War characters for any race, you're just like, that guy's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you verse in their neck rounds and it's like this is just a, a metal skeleton with like a big big old cannon on his arms. Like I want I want to you know do something with that (laughs) yeah definitely well i mean we both got what i got two of yours or no i think i only got two only age of mythology and starcraft two yeah but i was very close you said you you gave me like pity point with restaurant empire so (laughs) restaurant empire is definitely like number six i think yeah not too bad it's such a weird one because it's genuinely like not that good of a game, but I just love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. You know, we all have games like that that uh, hold a special place in our hearts. <laughs> I would say the other one that I was struggling with was uh, Tony Hawk's Underground. I played that oh, a lot as yeah. a kid, and it's so good. What was like your number six? Did you have anything? Uh, I'm trying to think which other ones were popping up. I mean, Stalker, definitely, mm-hmm. especially because I've been playing it so much recently. And now that you've put me on the spot i can't remember but that's okay uh binding of isaac as well oh yeah i haven't played that in years but i loved that game when i was Mm -hmm. playing it so it's just a great game all right well a lot of good games for people to check out i was just about to say the same thing pretty old yeah (laughs) and some of my the pc versions modern day don't work so well like republic commanders and freelancer unfortunately but Mm -hmm. still a lot of good stuff to check out there but we have some older games to talk about, some great <laughs> stuff in our timeline. So why don't we hop over there?
everybody. Welcome back from that brief break. Let's jump into our timeline for today. We're starting things off with the Atari 2600. Uh, haven't talked about it in a while. Yeah, so always good to check in and see what games are coming out because we know this console has a very long life. And the first game is one that I did a bit of an extended mention on. It's a little game called Space Invaders. You might have heard of it. Uh, and it's actually called Space Invaders. And that is because this is the this is an official licensed version of the actual Taito arcade cabinet. Uh, as far as I know, the first licensed version on a console. I think all the other ones were just clones. So finally, Atari is legitimately bringing Space Invaders to a console. And it's considered to be the first killer app or system seller, meaning that this game is what sold the VCS 2600 um, for like a whole year after Space Invaders came out, it quadrupled the sales of the Atari VCS. Uh, sorry, 2600. I'm switching between them both. And the game sold over 2 million units in the first year of the game itself. So lots of people want Space Invaders, I guess, and especially on their home console. And by the year 1982, it's going to sell 5.6 million copies. <laughs> <laughs> so people love Space Invaders still, even if me and Ben don't. With those numbers, I feel like more people played the home console version than the arcade version. I mean, probably, yeah. Or or at least well, maybe as many people as walked into a bar and ended up playing it, but still, yeah, it just seems so popular. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and getting it into your home, I guess, is a big sell for some people instead of, you know, having to pay and chip in the quarters at the uh at the arcade. But this version was programmed by a guy named Richard Marrer, who doesn't really do too, too much else for the Atari 2600, but he made this one and it's a good Space Invaders clone. Graphically, the game's pretty simple. Uh, it's black background with a couple of different colors on screen for the laser cannon, which is your ship thing that you're piloting. Uh, the shields, which are red in this instead of green, but they're still just little shields. And the invaders at the top of the screen, uh, which are a different color from everything else, but they aren't multicolored. Uh, we're still talking about the 2600 here. It can't do crazy graphical stuff. But the game moves really smoothly, I gotta say, which is awesome and refreshing for a console. And there's, I think, four different alien designs for the space invaders, and they all look pretty good, especially considering, considering it's on a console. Um, they just have like a simple two frame animation and nice designs that are distinct from Space Invaders, even though this is a licensed uh, version of it. And because this is an Atari 2600 game, it had loads of variations. Of course, Atari cites something crazy like 128 different ways to play Space Invaders. <laughs> uh, but really what that meant is a couple of different features that you could combine, like two-player modes, which are pretty cool, ranging from the really fun-sounding co-op ones to the kind of confusing sounding ones where one player controls the movement and the other player controls the firing for <laughs> one laser cannon <laughs> but they add it because they love adding as many modes as they can uh, you could also do zigzagging enemy shots or super fast enemy shots and you can make it so your barrier shields move back and forth and even the most debatable one of them all make all of the enemy invaders invisible <laughs> and well, okay they only showed up when you hit one so once you get to like one row left, I have no idea what you're supposed to do. <laughs> uh, 
Do they speed up like in the arcade? They do, yes. So once oh, there's no. only like one rope left or like two of them left, they're flying across the screen. Invisible mode must be impossible unless you just religiously play Space Invaders. And for the sounds, uh, they're pretty all right. You know, just kind of normal sounds. And the bonus ship sound isn't annoying. Uh, so all around is just a solid Space Invaders. Uh, I was going to say clone, but licensed versions of Space Invaders. Uh, but, you know, it's still space invaders so we didn't feel the need to go in and actually review this one that is true but unlike uh space invaders the next one we are going to talk about i did review it's another game for the 2600 this is actually a prototype game called wizard and it's just called wizard that's it um (laughs) and uh this one we actually have a little bit of a backstory on it apparently was canceled because it was in the weird space and time where atari 2600 games were transitioning from using two kilobytes of memory per game for like for the cartridge to four kilobytes of of uh memory for the cartridge and wizard was developed with 2k but superman was in 4k space invaders is also in 4k and the upcoming game adventure which is going to be a really big game um i think in april or so may may it's going to be early sometime this year yet that one is also a really big one in 4k so atari's just like realizing that like even though it costs more money to make 4k games they're selling way better so they're making more money from it so um wizard was a 2k game and it just seemed the wrong time to come out so it, it got canned and some of the uh aspects of wizard would would get repurposed for later 2600 titles but not the exact game itself so um, that's the, the background behind it. I did want to play it and review it because it seemed kind of interesting anyway. It's like a weird maze-based game where you're in a maze for some reason, but then <laughs> you've got an enemy that can shoot you, and then you can also shoot the enemy. And there's also a weird power-up mechanic. So I don't know, it kind of, kind of felt kind of cool. But let me explain exactly what we're looking at. So for Wizard... You've got your character, which is the wizard, but he just looks like a stick figure. He does have a nice little walking animation of a couple different sprites, which I like. But then the wizard uh, is being attacked by something called the imp, I think, which I don't know why it's called that, because it looks like a weird whirlwind vortex. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it doesn't look like an imp at all, but I think it's supposed to be an imp for some reason. Or at least that's what it says in the manual. Um, <laughs> or a gremlin. I forget the exact terminology, but some something that's definitely not a vortex. But it's a, it looks like a weird whirlwind vortex, and that will shoot at you. And there's an interesting mechanic where you can shoot a shot in, a, I think it's four directions. It might be eight directionals, but definitely four directions. And after you shoot, your guy goes from being kind of like this light green color color to a faded green color. And that's supposed to represent you needing to recharge for your next shot. So you can't keep shooting, Mm. but the enemy um, vortex thing has no such limitation. It can just keep shooting you forever. And it also has another interesting thing where you have to move around the maze and dodge and hide behind cover and stuff, but the vortex can just walk through walls. (laughs) <laughs> which feels like one of those things they did by accident just said it was a feature but <laughs> um, it can walk through walls but it can't shoot through walls so you're safe if you're behind a wall but it can't just walk through the wall so 
that's a weird little difference of ability. And then there's one other mechanic to this game, which is that there's something called the Eternal Flame, which is very fancy way of saying blinking dots, because that's what it is. <laughs> um, and that's like this little, you know, blinking dot figure that's in the maze somewhere. And um, the vortex will go after the Eternal Flame. If it reaches it, your movement speed will be slowed dramatically, which is a huge debuff on your character. Makes it really hard to do anything. Um, but you can play like an easy mode setting so that it won't go after the flame. So that's what it seems, it seems like most people actually play with. <laughs> but it, it seems like it's a weird... Uh, I don't know if it's like a lore-based reason why you would have that in the game. Because it's supposed to represent it taking like your magic away or something. But um, it's just a weird kind of you have to defend this spot, I guess. But it's, it's hard to do when the opponent can just walk through the wall. <laughs> yeah, right. So that to me is weird. But otherwise, um, basically all it is, it's a um, you just have to make sure you deal more damage than you, you receive. At the beginning of each round, the vortex starts with some number between like 70 and 50 health. And you start with, I'm sorry, not health. It's like, it's, it's weird. It's like damage and it goes up. So if you get to 100 damage, then you die. So it starts at like 50 to 60 damage and you start at zero. But then if you win the round, it'll start a little bit less health, a little bit less health, a little bit less health until it's like an even playing field. And it definitely has an advantage considering you can shoot much faster than you and can walk through walls. So, and it can disappear, but it can't fly. <laughs> I was going to um, say, where's the Danny Phantom reference? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I should say it, uh, the vortex does disappear if you are too far away from it. So again, just hmm. another weird thing that it does. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much the game. There's a couple little variations, uh, as I mentioned, with the Eternal Flame and stuff. But you know, it's it's a game that's wasn't really completed, and um, it was just a prototype. But uh, it's an all right game, I guess. It's a, it's like a it's like a shooting shooting kind of game. I don't know. Yeah. Shooting game in a in a in a maze. We've seen those before. <laughs> there is also a two-player mode. One player controls the wizard, and one player controls the imp in the two-player mode. Oh, interesting. Um, so I think it'd be a little interesting. But what I don't like at all is that the fact that you're in a maze when you could have just been like in a forest with trees. You know, <laughs> like it. The maze doesn't really do anything other than provide a lot of different cover. Right, that you can hide behind. But um, if you're playing the mode where the vortex goes after the eternal flame, it's like, well, it's headed that way. And it doesn't really matter that there's a bunch of stuff in the way, it'll just walk through it. Right. So, and the maze also doesn't change its layout. It's the same layout all the time. So, not that good there. Although the, uh, the imp will spawn in different locations and the eternal flame will spawn in different locations. But, those are pretty minor things, so it's kind of like a half-complete game, in my opinion. And it is a 2K game, so it just doesn't have the power to do much more. <laughs> so, um, with that being said, let me move into my ratings. Let's start with gameplay. For gameplay, I ended up giving it a 2 out of 10. I think it's fun for a few minutes, but then it kind of gets old, because it's the same thing over and over again. You're just shooting at an enemy, and then hiding behind cover and then shooting it again and hiding behind cover because you can't keep shooting all the time. You need a little recharge period. 
is really more of like a kind of timing dodging game, which is fun, you know, but it would be more fun if the vortex took like one hit to the kill and you are being chased by like four enemies. I think that would be a mm. lot more fun than just yeah. this one and it's just coming at you from the same direction all the time. It gets a little boring, so I like the two players shooting each other is like the Western gun formula. I'm cool with that, but uh if it's in a maze, I'm not so interested. <laughs> um so just two out of ten there. For graphics, I just gave it a one point seven five out of ten. The maze is two colors, it's like an orange uh for all the walls and then like a green ground. And then the vortex is a nice, a nicely animated vortex, but it's definitely not an imp. I don't know what, why they call it an imp. And the eternal flame is just a bunch of random dots flickering. So I could kind of see it, maybe like a flickering of a light, like a, like a candle. But you need the candle part. Like where's the wax? <laughs> so I kind of get that one, but it's it's not very good. And your stick figure has nice animations for the feet moving, but that's all it does. It doesn't have like a shooting animation, really. It's just like a dot pops out of them. So it's really not much to look at. So just <laughs> 1.75 there. For sound effects, I did give it a 2 out of 10. It's got kind of like this heartbeat sound, which is supposed to represent how far away you are from the imp because it is invisible until you get close. So at the very beginning of each round... It can take, a, you know, a couple seconds to find it. So I kind of like that. And otherwise you have a pretty basic kind of shooting sound and like death sound. But it's, it's pretty basic sounds we've heard before. Nothing very special. No music. And then for relevance, I just gave it a 4 out of 10. While it w wasn't released, you know, you could argue it should be lower, but um, I do think this influenced other internal projects that would be released later by Atari. Um, there's another game with Wizard in the name that's also, I think, maze-based. So, <laughs> it's a good um, chance. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there's a, definitely some um, degree of plausibility there. So... Um, I think it might have inspired some internal stuff, but that's pretty much it. And overall, I just gave it a 2 out of 10. It's alright, but um, you know, I, I think it, they made the right call of not going forward with this one, because it definitely would have felt a bit like, that's it? You know, in a space when they're doing Superman, they're doing Space Invaders. It does make me very excited to see what our next group of games is going to be, because we know Adventure's already one of them, and it's going to be 4K. But I yeah. wonder how many other ones are going to be 4K and what that might look like. So I'm very interested to see what they do with that. But this one being one of the last 2K ones, kind of wanted to review it, but also kind of wanted to stop looking at these. <laughs> so I'm glad we're, we're past that point in history now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We can see some of the limitations in Wizard and uh, hopefully having more memory available will help a lot of those. <laughs> Yeah, I'm interested to see what that other game that I think this inspired, what that actually will look like. Because I, I only kind of know about it, but I don't really know what it looks like. So I'm interested to see, oh, with the extra 2K, what could they do with this? Definitely. Um, that'll, be, that'll be fun to, to check out. Nice. Well, always good to check in on the 2600, see what Atari has up their sleeve. Some interesting stuff, but let's keep moving now go through some more honorable mentions that we have here. 
Uh, moving into computer land, we have one called Lunar Lander by Adventure International. It's a Lunar Lander game, of course, but we wanted to mention it. It's uh, for the TRS-80, but had pretty decent animations, sounds, and actually had multiple landing zones. Uh, so a little bit more complex than your classic Lunar Lander. Yep, and then moving on, we've got one here called Gargoyle's Castle by Kit Dominico, I'm going to say, and also published by Panic Simulations. It's a simple collect-the-treasure type text adventure game with a few twists. Seems like almost all the puzzles were about combining items to make something new, almost like a crafting system. Hmm. Um, and there's also a trash system for unwanted inventory items and a spade to dig holes into the ground anywhere on the map, which sounds pretty annoying, to be honest. <laughs> um, but uh, since it was just collected treasures and all text-based, we decided to skip this one. But it sounds all right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but here's some games that, you know, aren't so hot. We have a big pile of miscellaneous games for the APF Imagination Machine. Uh, unfortunately, the year dates are unknown for these, or at least we couldn't find any information on when exactly they came out. But we wanted to group them together now because none of them were particularly interesting or different from things that we've seen before. Uh, so we'll have a full, full list up on our website, but I'm just going to mention a few of them here now. One called 21 with George by LaCroix Games. Asteroids by York 10 Computers, or uh, York 10 Computerware. Biplane Rescue by York 10 Computerware. Uh, Chuck Luck by Gary Byhold. Hunt the Wumpus by Gregory Yab, the original creator of Hunt the Wumpus, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, Planet Attack by Rife Games, as well as a bunch of others. Yep, and then moving on to the CompuKeller 2 for 1980. This is a computer we check in with pretty much once a year. There's not many games that get released for it, but um, it is one of the only computers to have full-color graphics and full-color text, making it um, one of the nicest-looking computers out there, even though we don't get much games for it. It's always fun to check out these games, and uh, there is some good stuff on here. Like, genuinely good stuff. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this first group is uh, things that we didn't find interesting. I think 1980... Saw a lot more games for this system than previous years, for whatever reason. I don't know if it's going to be the peak or if we're still moving up. But um, just a couple of the ones that we didn't find interesting to talk about. We've got stuff like Table Tennis and Laser Gun by Trevor Taylor. Different packs. A lot of these games were in um, like gaming packs that came with a couple games. So there's one here called Joystick Games, again by Trevor Taylor. He had a magazine called the NCC which stood for something CompuKeller, I forget, but there's a magazine. <laughs> we, we don't have scans of the magazine, but we do have um, the emulation of the games that I checked out, and they're all right, but we skipped most of them. We're going to talk about a couple in depth, but there were nine that were, were released this year. Um, and then you also have like stuff like the Canadian Computer Users Group and their discs that they released. So tons of cool, interesting stuff, but we've seen most of them before, and there's a couple that are even more cool, so we'll mention those separately. But you can see the full list again on our website. Yeah, but a few of those CompuColor games that we wanted to point out um, and actually talk about a little bit more in depth, we have Cards Pack 80 and Solitaire Pack 80. These were three card games for each pack with amazing color graphics, because again, this computer does really good color graphics it's just a matter of finding some good games on it but it looks like we're starting to get there uh, and then the next one that we want to mention is the taylor volume 2 compilation 
It had Sea War, Super Star Trek, Table Tennis, and Laser Gun on it. So a combination of a bunch of great games all together. Uh, and again, they looked pretty good. Yeah, I think a lot of them were like arcade level quality for the graphics, but like of the original games, which most of those games came out like two years ago. <laughs> yeah. But um, still, you know, pretty good for a computer. And then moving on, uh, we got just two of the NCC packs I wanted to mention more in depth, which, by the way, NCC stands for Northern California CompuColor Users Group. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so their pack number six had uh, Inspector Clouseau on it, which I was thinking about reviewing, but actually that also comes out on the Atari 8-bit, which I did review, and I'll talk about that in a sec. <laughs> um, but that one had Clouseau on it as well. And then the other pack is the NCC pack number seven, which had a couple different games on it. It had a Trek game, a version of Mastermind, which, you know, is pretty simple, but at least the colored code that you were guessing is actually in color. And then it also had a strange game called Camel that I took a quick look at. And it's basically an Oregon Trail type game. Uh, you're riding a camel. And you have to travel across the Gobi Desert while being chased by pygmies for some reason. Um, and the way that you progress through this game is that you enter a command for each turn, and then it gives you feedback on screen for what happens after each thing that you did. You could either go full speed on the camel, half speed, take a drink from your canteen, or sit and wait for help. Um, and there's some weird stuff about it, though. For one, it's all text which was a bit of a bummer considering it's on the CompuColor. Text was in color, so, you know, that's nice, but no uh, images of camels or oases or anything like that. Um, but one of the weird gameplay things about it is that you never really know how close the pygmies are to you. <laughs> it tells you how far you've traveled total, but if you're just traveling too slow, it could just be next turn it says, the pygmies caught you, you died. And it's like, well, okay, I wish I had a little bit of warning. So it's a little bit hard to manage your speed because also if you go full speed all the time, your camel just up and dies again without <laughs> any warning. Uh, I went full speed for three turns in a row and it's like, you killed your camel, you horrible person. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> I didn't know. There's also some interesting situations make it kind of feel a little bit more like a text adventure where you could get captured by people who weren't the pygmies and you have the choice to either wait until some random sheik pays your ransom or try to escape. Uh, so it's interesting you have choices there. And, you know, obviously the pygmies could catch up to you if you wait. And if you try to escape, it seems like there's a chance that you get killed. And I rolled that chance whenever I took that option. So <laughs> uh, it had some funny scenarios in it, but it was very, very RNG heavy, even more so than Orkin Trail, which I feel like buying supplies and you know how fast you type bang to hunt the buffalo there's a little bit more control over all the crazy stuff that happens but in this it's like if something goes wrong you instantly die pretty much so it was an interesting game fun to take a look at had some nice quirky humor to it uh but not anything i'm going to be playing long term <laughs> well, it was interesting that it was still only one of a pack of games though so that was nice. very true yeah but let's move on to um, Inspector Clouseau. I mentioned it before. Um, I could have played it on the CompuColor 2, but I decided to play it on the Atari 8-bit because I don't get to play a lot of stuff on the Atari 8-bit, so why yeah. not? 
And uh, this is a game I've we've mentioned previously. It's, it was out, I think, on the uh, Apple II, I want to say, and out in several magazines, you know, published the code, but we could never play it. And finally, I, we got to a version that we could play, the version for the Atari 8-bit, which came out in 1980. And this version is pretty similar to the original, so it, it didn't really add anything new as far as the Atari 8-bit part of it goes, but it was just a version that we could play. But I mentioned I wanted to play it before, and I did want to play it. It's a clue kind of game, as the name would suggest. And what I like about it is that we don't really play many games like this. It's, it's a very different kind of game. It's not a text adventure at all, but it is all pretty much text-based. And it's pretty much a who did it, and you're the inspector going around asking all the questions. And um, I, I like how they do it, but it also is a little simple. So pretty much the game starts by giving you a layout of the house, which I believe is the same every time, but everything else I believe is randomized. So you've got, I think, what is it? Six rooms in the house and you have five suspects. And pretty much what the game is, is that you can ask two different questions to any of the suspects anytime you want. And you can ask as many questions as you want. So it's really like you'll get it eventually, but... The two questions that you can ask each of the suspects are where were you at such and such a time and who did you see there? And also, like, were you ever in this room? And if so, when? Hmm. So what you are trying to do with that, with those two questions are you want to catch somebody lying pretty much. You want to get somebody who says, I was, I was in the living room at six and then have somebody else say, I saw that dude in the dining room at six. And it's like, well, there only could be like, they're only in one or the other. So which is it? Right. Right. Um, and they don't even, they don't even say like dining room. They say, I saw this person, which means that they're in an adjacent room to whoever you're asking. So you, you have to work it out. Like I definitely did a drawing of the uh, house cause it does go away. <laughs> um, but it's, it's fine. It's just six different rooms, so it was easy. But yeah, pretty much you're, you're just asking, you know, who'd you see? And then asking, where were you? And uh, just seeing if those things aligned. I didn't have, like, too much time to play the game, but I was able to figure out who the killer was. You have to figure out a couple things. Who the killer is, where they did it, and uh, what time they did it, I believe. But I didn't get the other two. I just got who did it, because <laughs> they said they were in one room. And someone was like, I saw him in a different room. And I'm like, that guy's pretty suspect right now. <laughs> so I just was like, is he the killer? And it was like, yeah, he is. So that was pretty cool. But it's just an interesting game because even though like you could figure out that somebody is lying, that doesn't tell you which one of them it is. Like, are they lying that they saw this person in that room or are they lying that they were in that room? Right. Maybe either of them. And, um, you know, you still have to figure out when they did it, which I think is maybe the worst part about the game because the game, I think, um, goes from like 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. And the killing can happen any time in there. But it also means that whenever you ask somebody, like, um, where were you at 6 p.m.? You might have to ask them, where were you at 2 p.m.? Where were you, were you at 3 p.m.? Where were you at 4 p.m.? And just do everything, you know? Um, that's a little annoying. I wish we could get a little bit more information without asking so many questions, but uh, it is what it is. I, I don't know. 
a good way around that other than maybe just make the game shorter <laughs> but um i thought it was a good mystery i it made me feel like i was an inspector playing like a clue type game and it made me feel like i was unraveling the mystery and getting closer when i found out oh wait that, that guy's lying like it was cool and i'm keeping track of a lot of notes on paper so maybe that's a point off of the game because they didn't do that in the game but it's fine I still enjoyed it and uh i don't know it's just it's just a nice little clue game um yeah. very very simple but no candlestick murder though i don't know i i didn't i don't think you have to figure out what the weapon is so. oh <laughs> they didn't want it to be too similar i guess <laughs> it just says like when you ask somebody a question it'll say the murder was still or the victim was still alive or something like that um mm, okay when you ask a question but uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. So I, I really enjoyed it, actually. But um, it is pretty samey, and it's just all text-based. Um, there's only five suspects, and I, I thought I could name them, and I was going to have a lot of fun with that, but you can't. So oh. <laughs> they're just like Paul, George, Mary, Sue, and something like that. So, But it's all, it's all right. So let me get into my ratings for this. For gameplay, I ended up giving it a two and a half out of ten because I actually really enjoyed it. I mean, it was fun and relaxing and you weren't up against the clock. There wasn't like a turn limit. It was like, just play the game how you want to play it and be your own high score. And that was it. And I was cool with that. You know, I, I don't need a blue game to be like competitive. It's just a nice little escape kind of game. And we don't really get a lot of those types of games on computers. So... You know, it was all right. For graphics, I just gave that a 1 out of 10 because, I mean, it's all text-based. But it did show you a layout of the house at the beginning, but then it took that away. It's like, that could have just been on screen the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been nice. Um, and I wish, instead of me writing down, okay, I asked Mary that she was in the living room and she said she was there at 3. Like, I'm writing that on a piece of paper, but you could have just been like, mary living room three like in the ui somewhere or something but uh i guess that's a little bit too much right now so it was pretty it's a pretty blank looking game <laughs> you know all black with some text and uh there was a little bit of like lore building in the beginning but not a whole lot so pretty simple so just one out of ten there for sound it actually did have a little bit of sound nothing too crazy just some beeps and stuff but it was all right. I liked it. Um, it. It just built the suspicion a little bit. I don't know. It, was, it reminded me of some sort of heartbeat or suspenseful clicking or something. I don't okay, know. Okay, <laughs> nice. But it was all right. So 1.75 there. By the way, I forgot to mention that the uh, the clicking sound effects, it also really reminds because they happened often when you type stuff. They kind of remind me of a typewriter, and that made me feel like a some sort of old-timey inspector. Oh, cool. <laughs> nice, yeah. So, um, I like that part as well. For relevance, I gave that a 6 out of 10. Um, this has been ported like everywhere, and tons of people have played the game. The original was by a guy named Al Holzhev, I think? Or maybe that's the guy who ported the Atari 8-bit version. I he made a cool game and put it in every single magazine. A lot of people are playing it, so I have to yeah. give it some credit there. And overall, I gave it a 1.75 out of 10. It was alright, but... um it didn't really use the computer to its advantage. The you know, main advantage is that it's kind of a random 
scenario because a different person will kill the victim at a different time each time. But um, the house is always the same. The players are always the same names. And uh, you can only ask two questions, pretty much. So there was not a whole lot of things you can really do with it. It really kind of... The, the one main problem with the game is it kind of feels like you're just, like, taking a spreadsheet track of everyone's answers and then just, like, making some very basic judgments as to, oh, they're lying. But it does feel cool when you figure out someone's lying. You're like, ah! I got him. Right. <laughs> you know, so that part is cool. So I enjoyed it, but it's a simple, simple game. So 1.75 and that's it. It's good to finally check it out because we've seen versions of this on so many different computers, like you said. Uh, and it just makes me think of how this, I don't know, sort of like argument, deliberation, catching someone in a lie type of gameplay, I feel like appears in a lot of side quests in RPGs. Specifically, right. I'm thinking about... Knights of the Old Republic, there's one scene where you kind of got to play the judge for two guys, and that's nice because they can add a bunch of extra flavor to it. Like, you're not just asking where they were, but this guy's talking about his blaster, and you have to remember stuff about his blaster. And so, but it's nice to see the basis for that in something and uh, on the Atari 8 bit, too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure um, the original Clue board game was around by this time. Probably, Um, yeah. So, I'm pretty sure that's what this drew from. It's just a good clue game, and I wish more people made weird puzzle, you know, unique games, you know, just straight up unique games. But, you know, everyone's like, oh, let's do an adventure game. Right. (laughs) But let's keep moving with our timeline today. We have Cray Blitz next, an honorable mention by Cray Research Incorporated. And this is a new chess computer program for the Cray Supercomputer, which uh, Cray is a subsidiary of HP. And this program participated in a lot of computer chess tournaments and had two consecutive world championships by 1986. So a pretty good one. New one added to the pile of these crazy computer chess computer programs. Yep, they're still going strong. <laughs> um, moving on, we've got... Two here, one called Parspector 5 and one called Parspector 8, both by Synergistic Software. They're split-screen Star Trek-type games, and um, while I like the split-screen aspect, like two people can play on one computer, their version of split-screen was put a cardboard divider like in between your monitor so you can't see the other <laughs> screen. That seems like a kind of weird thing to do. Um, but it was for the TRS-80, just normal uh, Star Trek. You got to make do with the technology that you have and uh, cardboard <laughs> tape to your screen. You know, sometime that's got to do it. <laughs> All right. But this next game is the only game that I reviewed today. Quest by Mad Hatter Software. It is a text adventure game, but it is a graphical text adventure, uh, which is always a little confusing. Gotta love it bit contradictory but yeah gotta love it it's not the first one we've seen but the first one that i have taken a look at uh so the story is that you and your servant for some reason that they don't really specify the time period but you have a servant are traveling in search of fame and fortune killing monsters and then returning to your living room to cash in your prize and uh, earn your fame and despite the boat logo on the manual for this it's all about exploring the countryside and a cave in the countryside. So <laughs> it's a little bit different. And uh, you start out like in your li- own living room. So it's got a weird vibe, but it's not one of those time traveling ones like the pirate one. Uh, so already a little bit 
interesting, made me feel like I was about to be blown away by a tornado and taken to the land of Oz, but no magical stuff right at the outset of this game. <laughs> the gameplay, though, it's an interesting graphical text adventure. You know, it has in the top left of the screen a graphical representation of each room that you're in. And because of that, it sort of has pretty simple descriptions for each area. But like all other text adventures, this one's pretty basic gather the treasure type game where you have to gather a bunch of different valuable items and then take them back to your living room to cash them in. And also you have to find useful items to solve puzzles along the way. Uh, so really classic text adventure kind of formula. It also seemed like the item locations were randomized, though, in this game, which I don't think we've seen too much before. Uh, I had one playthrough where the wallet was sitting out in the open, and the next I had to look at the couch and examine it to find the wallet in the couch. Uh, so there's actually a good bit of examining your surroundings to find different things, uh, which I liked and thought was pretty interesting. And it also seemed like things could be randomized between rooms, just not within a room. I found a can of food in like two different rooms at one point. So I like that. It adds some unpredictability to what is normally a very predictable genre, especially if you're trying to play through it again. But maybe because of this randomization, there isn't really much explanation for like why and how things are happening. Like I went outside and I examined a tree and I found a hammer, but <laughs> I, I guess because there's some randomization, you know, they didn't have text saying on closer inspection, you see a hammer leaning against the backside of the tree, you know, because I don't know if maybe that could have been a wallet or what. Um, so mm -hmm. there might not be as much randomization as I'm making it out to be, but it ended up feeling a little bit weird. There's some things like finding the wallet in the couch that makes sense, but there's other things like finding a can opener in the fridge where you're like, well, why was that there? <laughs> So who knows? Uh, but that's kind of the basic thing of the game. It's got graphical representations for each room that you go into, and you're navigating in the typical take item, open inventory, manage inventory, east, west, north, and south kind of way. And there is a cave to explore. So definitely colossal cave adventure vibes going on here. And I think even a dragon at the end of it, although I didn't make it that far. Slight caveat before I get to my ratings, I didn't get to play a decent bit of this game, but all of the emulations I found had some part of their code broken. Um, so I would type in a command and then it would just stop playing the game and I couldn't type in another command. I would have to restart all over again. And some of the commands that were broken were essential things like wearing a jacket so I could survive in the cold or lighting a match so I could see in the dark. So I wasn't able to get too, too far, but I did get a basic idea of it, so I still end up giving it a rating. So getting into those ratings, for graphics, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10. The graphics are super simple. Uh, I don't believe I mentioned what this was for the TRS-80. Uh, so it's all black and white, and the graphical representations are definitely nice compared to all of the other text adventures that we've seen gives you a little bit of context of what's going on and there's some nice details in there but it's not super detailed because it's only taking up a small section of the screen one of my favorite parts about this is that it usually showed like gaps where you could actually move next so if there's a hole up to the north you can know you can travel north and if it didn't have that it specifically points things out like saying there's a barn nearby 
and then you say go barn to travel there. So it was very good at giving a visual display of where you can travel next. Uh, it also showed interactable items like in the kitchen, you could see some shelves and you could see what was supposed to be the refrigerator. You could see a fireplace in the living room. Uh, so I liked that. And those are also all pointed out in text so you can interact with them. It didn't show any representation of the things you could pick up, though. That's probably asking a little too much for these games at this point. And thankfully, unlike some of the recent like adventure type games we've played on the TRS-80, the different screens loaded really quickly. Uh, so it wasn't like you're waiting five minutes in between traveling from one screen to the other. Moving on to sounds now, there actually were sounds, despite this being a TRS-80 game. And it's amazing to have sounds in a text adventure, even when they're super simple. Uh, so I ended up giving it a one out of 10 here. There was nothing crazy, just a confirmation beep when you successfully performed an action. Uh, and the only other sound I think is really great. There was a like beeping walking sound whenever you move to a new area. Uh, so it kind of played along with the time it took to load the new area. And it was just nice. You know, you can imagine your character walking in between those two screens. Moving on to gameplay now, though, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10 here. Unfortunately, the graphics don't really save Quest for me. And, you know, they do add some great stuff to the gameplay as far as being able to see where you're going next. But it all just feels too similar to text adventures we've seen before. One of the interesting things about it is that there seems to be food and water needs for you and your companion. So it sort of adds like an inherent timer if you're running out of food supplies. But other than that, you're walking around the town, gathering up supplies, and then going in a cave to find valuable things, fooling a dragon with some kind of puzzle, and going back to your room to deposit all the treasures. Uh, so, you know, it, it's stuff that we've seen before, although I don't know if there was a bird this time to peck out the dragon's eyes or whatever was going on in a colossal cave adventure. Uh, so it had some cool new stuff to it. I like the randomization, too, of all the items that you could pick up, but wasn't enough for me. It still just felt a little too simple overall. For relevance, I gave it a 5 out of 10. It's our second graphical text adventure, so it doesn't get full points for relevance there, uh, but it doesn't seem like a terribly well-known one. None of our sources uh, that we usually go to for computer RPGs have played this one, but I do think it gets some points for being early in the genre of graphical text adventure. Uh, I just don't really think it did too much else of note to make it relevant, so I just left it right in the middle there. And overall, that left me with a 1.25 out of 10. Quest's most interesting points to me are the fact that it has sounds and visuals, and both of them, I think, really helped the genre keep it interesting. But it feels like to compensate for the fact that there were visuals and sounds, the room descriptions were really, really minimal. Uh, so even though I could see there's a barn and a tree on screen, I don't know if it's a red barn and I don't know if it's a you know decrepit tree or there, there was no other stuff there. It was just kind of what was represented on screen. And the general premise just felt a little bit tired to me, uh, as much as I hate to say it. So it's still a neat game to take a look at. And I love the fact that we're getting to this point of like graphically represented text adventures. Uh, so I'm excited about this growing trend, but this one wasn't necessarily the one for me. 
All right, cool. Well, I'm glad you got to play one at least. Yeah, you know? definitely. I mean, it's a cool genre. And even though it is a bit of a uh, oxymoron being a graphical text adventure, but <laughs> it definitely spices it up and adds a good bit. You know, it's not just all in your head. You can also see part of what the creator actually wanted to convey, which is nice. Mm -hmm. um, do you happen to know, I saw that there was a difficulty setting, which I feel like is very rare for text adventures. As yes, if we've yeah. ever seen one before ever. So do what is that just with the food and water stuff? Yeah, so as far as I can tell, I think it's the speed at which you get thirsty and hungry, but then it also seems like the ease of finding certain things. Like I don't know if some items are optional and they just make the playthrough easier, but I felt like when I played it on the harder setting, like I couldn't find the matches as easily as I did before. Um <laughs> So I'm wondering if it might also be locations. That also could have just been my luck of the draw, to be honest. But yeah, it is interesting as easy, medium, and hard difficulty, which I really don't think we've seen before. All right, well, another thing uh, to keep our eye on, see if that gets added anywhere else. Definitely. Um, but let's move on. We've got just a few more honorable mentions, and then we will call it a day. Um, to wrap up March of 1980, we're going to talk about Computing Today magazine. This is a brand new magazine for us, but it has been around since, I think, 1977. And I just somehow missed it in the research. There's just so many magazines. <laughs> you can't blame me. Yeah. But um, we're getting to it now, and we'll keep an eye on it moving forward. But in the March magazine for 1980, it had a couple space-related games. I think they all had some sort of similar theming or like it was supposed to be like part one two and three of the same story or something but um for this new british magazine we've the first one we got here is called audi invasion which sounds like australian to me but it's <laughs> a british magazine so i don't know what's going on but uh audi invasion is a space invaders type game similar to that Commodore pet game we played not too long ago where things are falling in this case up <laughs> you're at the top of the screen they're moving up the screen at you just kind of dive bombing you constantly and you're just trying to shoot them so mm -hmm. it's kind of like a fast-paced shooting game space invaders type game and then the next one that we have is actually just called space invaders uh and just a clone of space invaders nothing too new going on there yeah and the last one is called moon base alert which is a timing based shooting game all these were written just in basic so um they could be played on many different computers, but they kind of looked like Commodore Pet style graphics to me, at least in the pictures that they showed. Maybe that's what they played it on. I'm not sure. But um, three fairly simple games, but you got all three in one magazine, so can't complain. <laughs> and that will do it for us today. Um, and it'll do it for us for all of March of 1980. We're going to officially move into April next episode. So oh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Every month down is a month closer to the really, really good stuff. <laughs> um, I think uh, Pac-Man's in June or July, so that's only like a couple months away. Got that to look forward to. Yeah, lots of cool stuff to look forward to. But uh, as far as what we did today, we talked a little bit about the first ever system seller. Space Invaders actually is the biggest game of the year, I think. Or, you know, I don't know, it's going to be up there with Pac-Man for sure, but you know, we've played so many Space Invaders games that it wasn't going to be too impressive for us. Um, but the other one I did for the 2600 was Wizard, a prototype game that is emulated nowadays. So for 2600 games, people have really dug into history and, and found them, which I'm really glad about. And then Wes, you talked about a couple different things. 
um, Space Invaders, but also Camel Adventure from the Copy Color <laughs> and Quest, the graphical text adventure from Mad Hatter Software. And finally, I did Inspector Clouseau. I finally got around to it. And it was kind of what I thought it was going to be a pretty fun clue type game on the computer and just makes me want to play more clue type games. I just love those kind of games. What can I say? <laughs> Give me some mystery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we'll be getting more of that in the future as we move on into April. Uh, but make sure to check out our website for more information on all the stuff we've covered so far. See how far that we've come in our timeline. Uh, also, make sure to check out our Twitter where we post announcements about our episodes and send us an email if you have any questions. And with that, we'll catch you next time. See you all next time. <laughs>